We welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Let's take our Bibles and go, if you would, please, to the book of Acts. And we come to Acts chapter number 6 this morning. Acts chapter number 6. And uh, we began a, a survey study of the book of Acts. And we began this study in this sixth chapter. And uh, we're going to use it as we look at this passage. We're going to spring forward from this passage. We'll actually take a few steps back into chapter number two. And uh, then we'll take a little trip through the book of Acts, exploring yet another priority for the church. And uh, that's been the subject of this study, the priorities of the church. And uh, there are times in life where we have to be reminded of what our priorities are. And if we do not keep those priorities in order, then what happens in our lives is the immediate or the urgent thing, whatever it may be, uh, has a tendency to take over. And if we're not careful, uh, those things which are not priorities will deprive us of fulfilling the things which are our priorities. And as we come to this study, we understand that it is God himself who has established our priorities. He has established the priorities of the church. And uh, we've noted already as we've come through beginning of Acts chapter 1 that the first priority that we came to was our witness. Uh, our church, if we're going to keep God's priority, is going to be a witnessing church. Uh, we have a mission that the Lord has sent us on. We are to tell people that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and paid the payment for their sin. And his death on the cross satisfied the just demands of a holy God. That he was buried and that he rose again. And he offers to all who will believe on him eternal life, the forgiveness of sin, a relationship with the Father, a home in heaven. This is what the Lord does for us. And that message needs to be communicated by those who know it is true, by those who have experienced it. We are to be a witnessing church. And then we saw also in chapter 1 and throughout uh, several passages in the book of Acts that another priority for the church is prayer. And so not only are we to be a witnessing church, we're to be a praying church. And uh, we saw how that God directed and blessed and empowered his church uh, here at Jerusalem in the book of Acts. And as the church extended outward, uh, on their mission, uh, they maintained the priority of prayer, and God blessed them. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a third priority, and it is the priority of preaching. And if our church is going to be what we ought to be, we're going to be a preaching church. 
So I want to speak to you on this subject this morning, the preaching church. We've looked at the witnessing church. We've looked at the praying church. And this morning we're going to look at this thought, the preaching church. The preaching church. In Acts chapter 6 and verse number 1, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and the Cyrenians, and the Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Now, as we examine this passage to begin this series, we noted that uh, the apostles were facing a, a difficult challenge here. There was a real problem. The Grecian widows were neglected in the daily ministration. That means their needs were not being ministered to as sufficiently as were the Hebrew widows. And so there was a murmuring. And in the midst of the murmuring, the apostles, everyone was looking to the apostles to solve the problem. And of course, the apostles could have ran and, and got what was needed for the daily ministration. Perhaps it was cash or, or uh, some type of a benevolent offering. Perhaps it was food from the food pantry or clothing or, or maybe it was uh, firewood or things that would have been used in those days to, to sustain life and ensure protection and safety and shelter. But as they thought about that, they remembered that God had given them a responsibility. It's not that the needs of the widows were not important. They were, but they had a responsibility that was supreme, a priority. And they said in verse number, uh, in verse number four, we will give ourselves continually to prayer. Well, we noted that priority last week. And here's the one we're looking at this week to the ministry of the word. They're studying the scriptures and they are teaching and preaching the message of the scriptures. And so when they determined to keep the priorities of the church, to keep the main thing, the main thing, notice the result in verse number five. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. 
And they chose a group of men, seven of them, of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost. And notice the result of that, that determination. After they chose those men, they prayed and they continued as a church. The problem seemingly had a solution, but they didn't lose the priority in the midst of the problem. Notice verse 7, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. What a blessing it is to see the church advancing. And I want to say this to you this morning, when we as a church understand what our priorities are, and when we move forward in light of those priorities, we will experience the blessings of God. We will see the gospel of Jesus Christ increase. We will see souls saved. And that's the work God has given us to do. Well, we notice what happens. Of those seven men, the Bible speaks in particular now in verse number eight of one who was named Stephen. He's just one example. And the Bible tells us that Stephen was a man, notice this please in verse eight, full of faith and power. Oh, may God give us men in our church and women who are full of faith and power. And we find that the Bible tells us if we desire to be full of faith, there's a sure, uh, there's a sure solution. There, there's a, a, a sure channel that will fill us with faith. Do you know what it is? Faith, help me out now, church. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You see, Stephen was benefiting from the preaching of God's Word. And as the Word of God was proclaimed in the life of Stephen, he became a man full of faith and power. You see, as we study the Word of God, as we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Word of God, as we are obedient to the Word of God, well, that releases the power of God into our lives, the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we obey God, God empowers us for further service. So here we find a man who had benefited from the preaching of the Word of God, and he is a man who is, a, is now a leader in the church, full of faith and power. Notice what happens. He did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose verse number 19, certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and the Cyrenians, and the Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. The religious leaders, many of them of the Jewish synagogues, they began to argue and dispute with Stephen. By the way, let me just say this, that we live in a world that is disputing with the message that we proclaim. We live in a world that is hostile to the message that we proclaim. As I was growing up as a, as, as a child and a young man, uh, we were living in a world that at least tolerated the message of the Bible. By the way, this nation was founded on the principles of God's Word. But our nation has turned away from the truths of God's Word, and now our nation has rejected emphatically the message of God's Word. Uh, there was a day when they would tolerate this message 
They would be polite about it. They would acknowledge that at least we had a right to proclaim it. But in this day, there's not a toleration of the message of the gospel. Everything else under the sun is tolerated in this age except the preaching of Jesus Christ. The world hates it. And they don't even try to masquerade it anymore. They're open in their contempt and their hatred for God's word. And so there was a dispute going on between this group of Jewish religious leaders who wanted to silence the church. And by the way, that's the, the chief tactic of the devil, isn't it? He's a great disputer. He came to Eve in the garden. And uh, he said to Eve, he said, Eve, uh, yea, hath, hath God said that you can't eat uh, from every tree? I mean, did God really say that you couldn't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? You see, the devil, he, 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 here's how he works in our lives. He, he will point out not the blessings. He'll point out the things that we as believers shouldn't be a part of for our own good and safety and protection. And the devil said, you know, did God really say that? Well, let me tell you, he, he didn't tell you the truth. And the devil will tell you today that, that this you can't have confidence that the Bible is the word of God. That's what he'll say to you. You say, Pastor, do you believe the Bible is the word of God? Yes, I believe the Bible is the word of God. You see, if I believe that God spoke this universe into existence, if I believe that God formed me from the dust of the ground, breathed into the nostrils of Adam the breath of life, and man became a living soul, and I believe that, by the way. You might want to believe that it happened by some chance random explosion billions of years ago. By the way, there's not been one explosion. If they're right, not one explosion since has created anything but chaos, never order. We live in an orderly universe. I believe the Bible, don't you? But the disputers of this world are raging. And Satan will try to tell us this Bible is not the word of God. And then he'll try to say, well, if it has the word of God, is it all the word of God? Well, I want to tell you the same God who spoke this world into existence and, and brought order and, and life out of nothing is the same God who can give me his book and he has. For all scriptures given by inspiration of God, he breathed it. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It's God's word. It's priceless. It's pure. It's eternal. It changes not. And so they were disputing as Satan disputes even in this age concerning the word of God. And the, notice what happens. Here's this man he is full of faith and power. And here he engages with these disputers who are seeking to contradict and work against the, the church and the message of the gospel. And notice what happens in verse number 10. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. I want you to know what Stephen did. He took the Bible, he opened the Bible, and he preached the Word of God in the power of the Holy Ghost. And when he did, the disputers could not dispute with him. They could not contend with him because they had no answer for God's truth. That's why the church has to keep the priority the priority. The preaching church. Now, 
we're going to look this morning at three. I have a list of six. So we're going to, we're going to do this on two Sundays, God willing. But I want to give you three works this morning, six in total, but three this morning on uh, three works, three results, three products of preaching. What it does, how it happens, and why we need to keep doing it. Amen? So let's look at the first one. And I want you to go back with me a few pages to Acts chapter number 3. Acts chapter number 3. As we come to Acts chapter 3, we find Peter and John have gone up to the temple at the hour of prayer. And as they're on their way to the temple to pray, they see a man, a lame man, who uh, the Bible said lame from his mother's womb. He was born that way. And he was a beggar. And every day he would sit by the beautiful gate and he would ask, do you have something to spare? Can you help me out? And people would have pity and compassion and give him money. He was well known in Jerusalem. He's well known for those who would enter in through the beautiful gate. And as Peter and John saw him, the Bible says he looked steadfastly upon them and he thought that they were going to give him some money. But Peter said this, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And so he arose. The Bible said immediately he received strength in his feet and his ankle bones. He arose and he walked. And not only did he walk, but he ran. And not only did he ran, uh, run, rather, but he, he, he ran the high hurdles. He was jumping all over the place. He was praising God. He was making a ruckus. He was making noise. He was drawing a crowd. People said, that's the lame man. What happened to him? And somebody said, well, you know, those guys, Peter and John, you've heard about them. Oh, yeah, that's the guy that, that was preaching the other day. Yeah. Well, he was talking to them, and all of a sudden, the guy stands up, and he's running around. So the crowd begins to form around Peter. And Peter begins to preach, and you see it in Acts chapter 3 and verse 12. And when Peter saw it, when he saw the crowd and how they were looking at him, as if he had uh, some power to heal this man, when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look you so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob and the God of our fathers hath glorified his son, Jesus. Boy, they liked everything he had to say till they got right there. Because they had crucified Jesus. In fact, Peter goes on in his preaching, whom ye delivered up. His own people turned him over to the Roman authorities. His own people cried out, crucify him. He said, you delivered him up and you denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Verse 14, but she denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the prince of life. The one who had given them life, they cried out in condemnation, put him to death. And by the way, it was your sin and mine that put Jesus on the cross. He was there to make the payment for our sin. And Peter is saying to them, 
Here's what I want you to know. Don't look at us. Look at Jesus. And he's the one that you delivered to Pilate, that you denied, and that you brought death to him. Well, what is he doing? He is confronting them through preaching. And so we see this morning, first of all, as we keep this priority of preaching, we see the confronting work of preaching. The confronting work. Notice what Peter goes on to say. He says, and his name, verse 16, speaking of Jesus, his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith is which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. You want to know why that lame man's walking? Because he put his faith in Jesus. Then notice verse 17. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. He said, I want you to know that Jesus died because you betrayed him, you delivered him up, you condemned him and had him put to death, but you didn't know what you were doing. You see, the preaching of the Word of God confronted them with the truth that they were guilty, that they were condemned, and that Jesus was the Son of God. And the Word of God tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 in verse 18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? You see, God's instrument, his method of communicating his message, his chosen method, his prescribed method is the foolishness of preaching. And though the world may see it as foolish, preaching exposes the foolishness of man. It confronts him with his lost condition. It confronts him with his rebellion and his rejection of God's Son. And it points him to the Redeemer and calls for him to repent. Well, Paul later on would go to Athens Peter was preaching in Jerusalem. That was the religious crowd. But then he went, Paul rather, would go to Athens. And this crowd isn't religious. In fact, this crowd doesn't know the Bible at all. And Paul begins to preach to them in Acts chapter 17. In verse number 16, the word of God says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons. He started there first, the Jews in Athens. He preached to them the message of Christ. And then he went to the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? By the way, that's the way many in this world will look at us. As babblers, don't let that title bother you. 
Don't be unwilling to bear the reproach of Jesus Christ. We have the message of life. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. There are certainly going to be unbelievers, but don't, do not allow them and their, their, their criticism and their reproach and their contempt for God's Word. Don't allow that to hinder you. They said, we want to hear what this babbler will say. And so the Bible says they took him and brought him in verse 19 to Oropagus, saying, May we know this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is, for thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. You see, that's what the world's looking for, some new thing. But it's the old thing that we need. It's the eternal thing. It's the ageless thing. It's the thing that doesn't change with the trends. It's the Word of God. Forever it is settled in heaven. And so Paul, with this opportunity, stood in the midst of Mars Hill in verse 22 and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Paul said, I, I found an altar here to the unknown God. You've got all these altars to all these gods, hoping that you're making the, the mark, that you're, that you're appeasing all of them. And just in case you missed one, you've got one altar to the unknown God. And you're ignorant of who he is. But I've come to tell you who he is. He's the God you don't know. He's the Son of God. And he loves you. He spoke this universe into existence. He formed man of the dust of the ground. And sin came in and ruined man. But Jesus, the Son of God, came to redeem man. He communicated the message of Jesus and his death and his burial and his resurrection. Look, if you would, in verse 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, when he got around to that part where Jesus came out of the grave, when, it, when they heard of that, some mocked. And others said, we will hear thee again on this matter. There were some who despised his message, and there were others who delayed him from moving forward with his message. And they said, we'll hear you again. But here's what we find. Whether it be the religious group in Jerusalem or the pagan group in Greece and Athens, they needed to be confronted by that which they did not know. And it is through preaching that the church confronts the world with a message of God. And not only does it confront the world, but it confronts the believer. Because though we are saved, we live in a body of flesh. And unless we are yielded to the Lord, unless we are walking in His Word all the time, we're going to do things that are displeasing to Him. We're going to develop attitudes that are displeasing to Him. There are going to be carnal tendencies in our lives that are displeasing to God. And if we're not careful, if we're not exposed to the truth, those attitudes will become stronger and stronger. And we need the daily confrontation of God's Word in our lives to expose our sinfulness to us, to show us our error, to point us to Jesus, and to bring us to Him. 
And only then will we experience the blessedness that God desires for us to experience. You see, the Word of God is quick and powerful, isn't it? Quick means it, it brings life. It's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Well, a sword is an instrument of death, but not the Word of God. It's a sword that brings life. And with the precision of a surgeon's scalpel, the Word of God penetrates the armor of pride and the armor of sin and the armor of lust and the armor of envy the armor of anger, the armor of bitterness, the old wounds that we have tried to heal from, that we've allowed to form a, a, a sense of bitterness in our life, that Word of God can penetrate right through that, those bad attitudes. And the Word of God, with the power of a sword, the precision of a scalpel, can open the heart and, and reveal our motives, our thoughts, our intentions and reveal the sin within. And friend, once the sin is revealed within, then you and I need to make confession to God. And as we confess to God, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You see, if you let the Word of God do its work in your life, He's going to purge you. He's going to change you. He's going to reveal some things to you. God's Word confronts us. Now, oftentimes what happens is we harden our heart, don't we? God exposes some sin in our life, some attitude in our life. God reveals to us what we need to do. And oftentimes we'll say this, well, you know, I don't feel convicted about a certain thing. Well, that's a sure sign that God in his word has spoken to you and you've decided not to listen. And you've excused your disobedience by hardening your heart. And now the sword doesn't penetrate that hard heart like it once did. You see, preaching, well, it does a confronting work. And that's a work that you and I need, and that's a work that the lost world needs. Well, let's look at the second work, and that is the convincing work of preaching. The convincing work. Acts chapter 6, we read this verse a moment ago. In verse number 10, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he, that's Stephen, spake. The disputers could not continue their line of argument because as Stephen preached the word of God in clarity and in power with the help of the Holy Ghost, they could not resist him. They couldn't stop him. Now, I want you to look, if you would, please, in Acts chapter 9. We find another instance of this, Acts chapter number 9. Saul, who will become Paul, of course, saved on the road to Damascus. And after his salvation, he spends time being discipled, being taught with a man named Ananias. And in verse number 19, after he's been saved and baptized, after this period of blindness that he was smitten with, and Acts chapter 9 and verse 19, and when he had received meat, speaking of Saul, 
he was strengthened. By the way, you and I need to receive the meat of God's word. And as we're discipled and as we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, we will be strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway, notice this please, straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on his name in Jerusalem and came thither for that intent? This is the guy who persecuted the Christians. Now he's up preaching their message. What had happened, God had made a difference. And this changed life of this once vile and angry, hateful man began to speak to those men. You see, when we embody the message that we declare, not just simply declare it, but when we embody it, oh, that communicates the message even the more effectively. You see, all of us have a pulpit. You say, Pastor, I'll never get up here and do what you're doing. Well, that's okay. God hasn't called everybody here to do that. He may be calling you to do that. And if he is, you need to respond in obedience. But all of us have a pulpit at home, with our children, with our wives, with our spouses. We have a pulpit. And if our life doesn't back up the message we're preaching, well, that may explain why there's not the power that there should be. We've got a pulpit at work, right, in the office, on the factory floor, you have a pulpit. There are a group of people who know you, and you can communicate with them the message of Jesus Christ. You have a pulpit at the bank teller's window. You have one at the cash register at the grocery store. You have one at the table when the waitress is bringing you that food. We all have a pulpit. And when we proclaim God's message, we can trust God's word to do the work and convince the disputers. Now, Paul didn't convince all of them in Athens, did he? But he convinced some of them. It's the job and the work of the Holy Spirit. As you and I are faithful to proclaim the message, it is the Spirit of God that does the convincing. But I'm so grateful that he convinced me that his book is true, that Jesus is the Savior. Well, that leads us to a third work of preaching and the reason that we need to do it. Go back with me, if you would, please, to Acts chapter 2. We're going to find it here. Acts chapter 2. This is the day of Pentecost. And here we have the first recorded message of the Christian church. And the first preacher to preach in the Christian church was Peter. On the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God came upon the believers, and they began to speak with tongues as the Holy Ghost gave them utterance, that means they spoke real languages that real people could hear and understand. They were there for the Feast of Pentecost. They were gathered from all nations. They were there to worship God at the temple, but they, they understood different languages. And they heard, through the work of the Holy Ghost, they heard those men speak in their own tongue. Was it some mystical, mysterious language that nobody could interpret? It was a real language. And they heard them speak the wonderful works of God. And they were amazed at what they heard and saw. And so they gathered around. And, they, and Peter said, look, let me tell you what's happened here, gentlemen. 
This is what Joel the prophet said. He pointed them back to the Scripture. By the way, that's what a preacher does. He opens the Bible and he explains the Bible. We live in a world that's forsaken preaching. We live in a church age when many in the contemporary church today have forsaken God's prescribed method of preaching. They're trying to communicate a message, but they're using the wrong methods. Maybe you've seen the videos, pastors and their wives coming on the stage dressed like Ken and Barbie trying to give you a message from a movie. Promoting that. Buzz and Woody. What do they have to tell me about Jesus and my soul and salvation? Putting a little religious language in there and a little bit of gospel message in there, hoping to entertain, hoping to draw a crowd, hoping to appease to a, a carnal society in which we live. But friend, that society needs a loving, truthful confrontation By a preacher who's not there to be confrontational, but who is there to tell them the truth as God prescribed it be done. But God hath chosen the foolishness of preaching. The world will always think this method is foolish, but it's the, the method that God chose. And it is the method that God blesses. And so we find that Peter is preaching to them. He's opening the Bible. He's showing them the Scripture. And God, by His Spirit, is speaking to them. And notice their response in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Do you know what happened? The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, pricked their heart. That means conviction came. You see, the third work we find in preaching, it's the convicting work of preaching. The convicting work. Not only are we confronted by God's truth, but we're convicted by it. We see that we're wrong. We see that we're sinners, that we've offended a holy God. But be in the midst of our sin, we have a God who loves us and who has come to redeem us. It is Jesus, the Son of God. And the Holy Spirit begins to convict us of our sin. And they were pricked in the heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, <clears throat> men and brethren, what? shall we do you see that ought to be the question when conviction comes to our life and notice the response peter said repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the holy ghost he said if god has convicted you of your sin then repent of your sin confess your sin, receive the forgiveness of your sin, and the Spirit of God will save you and give you life everlasting. The convicting work of preaching. And you and I need to stay around that work. You see, we need 
to be confronted with God's truth. Because we live in a world that's ignorant of it. They don't know. Paul said in Romans 10, how shall they believe? How, well, he said, first of all, how shall they call? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? But how shall they call on him? How can we expect a, a person who doesn't know Jesus, how can we expect them to call on Jesus if they haven't believed, he says? And how can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear except there's a preacher? And how can they preach except they be sent? That's the logic Paul uses in Romans 10. And I want you to know that God has sent his church forward to preach the message of a lost, to a lost and dying world. A message of a living Savior. We are to declare that message. We're to confront the world with this truth. They need to hear it. They are, many of them, ignorant of it, meaning they don't know it. And it's our responsibility to make him know. And as believers, we need the constant confrontation of God's word in our lives because though we're saved and on our way to heaven, we have a body of flesh and we have a mind that is corrupted by the, the effects and ruin of sin. And so, though we know the Lord and though the Holy Spirit dwells within us, if we're not careful, we'll develop the wrong attitudes and sinful habits and tendencies that will lead us astray. And so we need the confronting work of God's Word in our lives. We also need, then, the convincing work. We need to know that God's word is true and right. And our excuses don't hold up. And our arguments don't hold up. You see, I've heard many people in Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches talk about certain sins that they want to justify. They know better. <clears throat> but because <clears throat> they have chosen to harden their heart, they've made an argument with God, with the Holy Spirit, and said, I don't feel convicted about that. You've heard that before, right? I don't feel convicted about that. As I was a kid growing up, I, I, I would hear people mock preachers who warned us of the dangers of where we were heading as a society. They weren't convinced, were they? In fact, what happened is they convinced themselves that they were justified. Oh, let the Word of God convince us and then let it convict us. And once conviction falls, then let's make confession. You see, when I'm convinced and I'm convicted and I don't confess, I'm getting cold. I'm getting indifferent. I'm getting hard-hearted. And if I'm not careful, I get to the point where nothing speaks to me. May God help us. Oh, we need preaching, don't we? We need to preach. And we need to be under the influence and the work of preaching in our lives.
I don't want to be unkind. But in a world full of sin and corruption and wickedness, with so many opportunities for the devil to condition our minds, one hour of preaching a week is not enough. It's just simply not enough. You see, the church made a priority out of preaching. Let's take advantage of all our opportunities. Let's ask God to work in our hearts, to convict us, to convict us. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.